0: Let me read for us Matthew chapter 8, verses 5 through 13. Matthew chapter 8, starting in verse 5, down through 13. Read the story of the faith of a centurion. Let me read for us. It says when he, and the he there is Jesus. When Jesus entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, Truly, I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion, Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. Let me pray. God, again, I say thank you for a day that we can celebrate your goodness, a day that we can delight in in your favor toward us, a day that we find that every promise is yes in Christ Jesus. Pray you'd help me now in Jesus' name, amen. You, You can be seated. Since his Father's Day, I thought we'd take a bit of a break Sunday off from our study in 1 Corinthians and look at the character of a man that caused Jesus to marvel. There's only two times in all of the New Testament where it says that Jesus marveled. Here, he marveled in a positive sense, and in Mark chapter 6, he marveled in a negative sense— In Mark chapter 6, he went back to his hometown of Nazareth and he marveled over the people's unbelief. Only two times did Jesus ever marvel. In other places it says Jesus was amazed or Jesus was astonished. But only twice did he marvel. And so when I read that about this man, I asked myself the question, what is it about this man that caused Jesus to marvel? I want to know. I want to understand that. And so we could answer the question. We could say, well, obviously, Jesus marveled at this man because of his substantial wealth, right? No, that's not it. Well, we could say Jesus marveled at this man because of his tremendous physical strength, right? That's why Jesus marveled at this man. That doesn't fit. Well, we could say, Jesus marveled at this man's power, this man's respect, this, this man's command over the people's attention. Maybe, maybe that's what Jesus marveled at. Nah, that wasn't it. And by the way, this man had all of those things. This man had a substantial revenue stream. This man had tremendous physical strength. And this man did have power. This man did have respect, but yet none of those three things caught the eye of Jesus. What did? It's this man's faith, right? That's why the story is in the book. It's this man's faith. Now, why wouldn't Jesus marvel at his wealth? Well, Jesus wouldn't marvel at his wealth because it says in, in Psalm 50, Jesus owns the cattle on a thousand hills. There's no man's wealth that's going to impress Jesus. Why wouldn't his strength impress Jesus? Well, the entire universe was created through Jesus. So there's no power of man, uh, no strength of man that's ever going to impress Jesus. He, he created the universe. What about the man's respect? What about the man's authority? Well, in Matthew 28, it says that all authority in heaven and on earth was given to Jesus. He was the supreme authority. So there was no authority in the face of man that would ever cause Jesus to marvel. It had to be something different. And what made Jesus marvel, at least from his human side, was this man's faith. Now, did did Jesus know that this man had faith? Well, yeah. He was God. In fact, God is the one who gives us faith, according to Ephesians chapter 2. It's a gift of faith from God. So, yes, Jesus knew that this man had faith from his divine side. But from his human side, he marveled at this man. He was astonished. This is nothing short of supernatural. When Jesus saw faith operative in this man's life, he knew this. This could only be the supernatural working of God, that a man could look beyond his money, beyond his fame, beyond his physical strength, beyond his power, and look to Jesus. It's faith. That's what caused Jesus to marvel. So I want to learn more about this. I want to know about this faith that caused Jesus to marvel. And there's at at least four characteristics of faith that we find here. Godly faith. And so I want to look at these together with us. And then dads, because it's Father's Day, we're going to apply this specifically to us. We can apply this to moms. We can apply this to singles. We can apply this to teens. um, But because it's dads, we're going to apply it to us. Okay. Four characteristics of faith. Number one, faith seeks Jesus during suffering. Look again at verse five. When he entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, Suffering terribly. There are a few things that we need to know about a centurion before we can really understand uh, why this is remarkable. A centurion was a man's man, a centurion was a soldier, a career soldier in the Roman army. He was a man that started at the bottom, moved his way up through the ranks, and eventually became the commander over 100 men. That's where his name comes from. Centurion, we, we have the word century. It's, it's 100. He was commander over 100 men. Centurions were the backbone of the Roman army. They were the go-to guys. This is a man who would have been physically strong. This was no doubt a good-looking, strong, intelligent man who had earned the right uh, to, to have this rank and this title of centurion. In our vernacular, we would say, this man is a stud. If you'd see this man, he was a man's man. If you were out with this guy, he was one of the guys you'd want walking beside you because he would be impressive, he was that kind of a man, physically in shape. Nobody's messing with this man. He's a man's man. Not only that, he's actually also a ladies' man. And not in a negative sense, but in a very positive sense. He's, he's the kind of man that would have a lot of charm for a woman. Why? Why do I say that? Well, look who he's coming to Jesus and appealing to Jesus on behalf of. Verse six says, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home. He's coming to Jesus and he's talking about a servant. And you say, well, that's nice. That's expected. That's that's a kind thing to do. Well, not in this man's time. In this man's time, servants were expendable. Slaves were a dime a dozen. You didn't care about your slaves. You didn't show concern for your slaves. You didn't show them any amount of respect. If if a servant wasn't doing his job, you killed him and you got a new one. Here's what Aristotle said about slaves, and I quote, There can be no friendship and no justice toward inanimate objects. Indeed, not even toward a horse or an ox or a slave. For master and slave have nothing in common. A slave is a living tool, just as a tool is an inanimate slave. Nobody cared about slaves. Gaius, the Roman law expert, said this, we may note that it is universally accepted that the master possesses the power of life and death over his slave. You don't like him? Kill him. Get another one. It's just a slave. Vero, a Roman writer who wrote a lot about agriculture, he said this, the only difference between a slave and a beast with a cart is that the slave talks only difference so it's remarkable that this man would come to Jesus on the behalf of a slave he was a kind caring compassionate thoughtful sensitive man he was a ladies man the kind that every woman would have loved to have by her side He was a man's man. He was a lady's man. That's not it. There was another group of people that liked him. The third group of people that liked him were, believe it or not, the Jews. And Jews don't like Roman soldiers. Jews don't like Rome. But Jews like this guy. In Luke chapter 7, there's a parallel account of this story. And Luke picks up some more details that Matthew doesn't include. And Luke says this. Luke says that this man gathered together some elders of the Jews, and he sent them to Jesus to plead his case. And when the Jews come to Jesus, this is what they said. They said, you need to do this for this man. Why? Well, they told Jesus, because he loves our nation, and he built our tabernacle. He loves our nation, and he contributed money to build our synagogue. This man apparently loved the Jews, loved the things about the Jews, and out of his substantial wealth and out of his revenue stream as a Roman centurion, he even gave money to the Jews in order that they could build their synagogue. History tells us that part of that synagogue still remains today that the centurion very likely gave his money toward. So you have at least three groups of people. Men loved the centurion. Women would have loved this centurion. And the Jews loved this centurion. But here's the thing about faith that I want us to catch. When this man's servant was suffering, did he go to his man friends? Did he go to his lady friends did he go to his Jewish friends well not ultimately although he did send them to Jesus where does faith go when it's suffering straight to Jesus he went to Jesus he went to the source of power and strength and he bypassed all these others his faith compelled him to go to the one person that he knew could help why? Because faith seeks Jesus during suffering. Now, dads, I said I'm going to apply this to us, so let's think about this in terms of of our day. Where do you go, dad, when you're suffering? Do you go to your bank account and see how much money it's going to take to get rid of this suffering? Are you like me and you, you go to Google and you find out how we can solve this problem of suffering? Faith goes straight to Jesus. Let me ask you something, dads. Do your kids see you first turn by faith to Jesus Christ and say, Jesus is ultimately the only one that can help us here. Let's look to him. Is that, is that what your kids see? Faith working in your life. Jesus was willing to help. Verse 7, Jesus said to him, I will come and I will heal him. Jesus was more than willing to help. But notice the second characteristic about faith in this passage is that faith, even when it seeks Jesus, it approaches Jesus with a tremendous amount of humility. Faith approaches Jesus with humility. Look at verse 8. The centurion replied to this honorable and Jesus said, I'm going to come and I'm going to heal him. Immediately, the centurion says, Whoa, 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 whoa. I'm not even worthy for you to come under my roof. That's not going to work, Jesus, for you to, to come under my, my, under my roof. Why would the centurion say that? Well, because the centurion was such good friends with the Jews, he had given them money, he loved their nation. No doubt he was very familiar with their traditions. And Jewish tradition says if a Jew touches or comes in any kind of contact with a dead body, then he is ceremonially defiled, he's unclean, and he can't go to the temple for seven days until he's cleansed. Jews believed that Gentiles aborted their babies and flushed them down their toilets. So for a Jew to come into the house of a Gentile would mean that the Jew would come in close contact with a dead body, which would then ceremonially defile them. They couldn't go and worship for seven days at the temple. This centurion, knowing the tradition of the Jews, said, Jesus, I appreciate that you will come and you will heal but I don't want to inconvenience you. I don't want to put you at risk of being defiled by coming under my roof. This was the faith of a humble man who says, Jesus, you're going to do this for me. I don't deserve it. And I certainly don't want you to be inconvenienced. Besides that, The the centurion had enough faith that he said, Jesus, if you just say the word, it's going to happen. You don't even have to come to my house. Don't, Don't go out of your way. Just say the word. He was a humble man. Centurions were used to getting their way. He could have very proudly sat back and said, That's right, Jesus. Come on over here and do this. But he didn't. He was very humble. He says, I deserve nothing from the Savior. I deserve no attention from Him. I deserve zero from Jesus. In fact, if you notice in verse 6, I think this is a valuable observation in verse 6. Jesus never asked for anything. See that? Verse 6. It's just a statement. Jesus My servant is paralyzed and he's suffering greatly. He didn't ask for Jesus to come. He didn't ask for Jesus to heal him. He was very humble. He said, whatever you decide, I'm just just telling you what's going on. His faith was a humble faith. A humble faith. Now the flip side to a humble faith is also a recognition of the authority of Jesus. This is the third characteristic of faith. Faith also honors Jesus as authority. And not only says, I'm humble, I'm down here, but Jesus, you're up here. You are authority, and I am below you. Look what he says in verse 9. For I too am a man under authority, with soldiers under me and I say to one go and he goes and I say to another come and he comes and I say to a servant do this and he does this now listen to me This centurion knows a little bit about authority he knows how authority works what gave the centurion authority why could he say to one of his servants go and that servant goes What gave the centurion authority? Well, what gave him authority was that he had the entire Roman Empire behind him, granting the authority to the centurion so that when he told his soldier, go, that soldier knew he must obey because the entire Roman system of authority was placed on the shoulders of the centurion. The centurion takes that same concept in his mind and he applies it back to Jesus. And he says, Jesus, I'm a man under authority. I know how authority works. And I know you well enough, and we know Matthew 28 well enough, that all authority in heaven and on earth stands behind Jesus. So the centurion says, Jesus, I know that if you say go, sickness has to go. And if you say come, then healing has to arrive because you have the entire supreme authority of heaven and earth behind you. The centurion got that. He was not only had a faith that sought Jesus when he was suffering, he not only had a faith that was humble under Jesus, but he had a faith that understood the authority of Jesus. verse 10 says when Jesus heard this he marveled that to me is a beautiful verse Jesus marveled at a man a Gentile man at that a man that recognized where his authority ended and where Christ superseded Dads, let me ask you something. Is there a recognition in your life that Jesus ultimately has authority to do what you and I cannot do? Is there a humbling under the authority of Jesus Christ? You know, one of the the famous sayings that we say is we say, I'm the king of my castle, right? Our castle is kind of tiny, There's a lot of things that our castles can't do. Dads, my question is this. Do we realize that there is a place where our authority ends and Jesus' only begins? There's one area, guys, where I get a bit concerned when I think about this, and that is in how we raise our children. I am very fearful, hopefully in a godly way, that I don't raise my children to be little Pharisees. And here's what I mean by that. I'm not a very big guy, but at this point, I'm still bigger than my kids. And by my physical strength, I can make my kids do things, right? I can make my kids go to church. I can make my kids sit down beside me. I can make my kids stand up when it's time to sing. I can make my kids be quiet. I can do all these things um, by my authority. But you know there's one thing that I cannot do by my authority. I cannot save my children. I have this fear that we will raise our kids to be Pharisees in so much that as long as they don't act up in church, as long as they're good kids in school, as long as they get married, and as long as they have a family, that we settle for this mentality of they're okay. But you know what? God doesn't look at the outward appearance, does he? Where does God look? At the heart, right? He looks at the heart. And so here's the question. Dads. Do we recognize the authority of Jesus in the sense that we are begging, begging at the feet of Jesus to save our children? We can set the stage. We can take him to church, and we should. We can do all of those things. But how often, dads, do we come to Jesus and say, I cannot do this? But you can. And by faith, trust in Jesus to do that that we cannot do. Because dads, our kids are just like us. They're sinners at heart. They're sinners just like you and I. That's why Jesus died. That's why he bore the punishment. That's why he died on a cross. That's why he raised again in three days. That's why by faith we believe that he can do that which we cannot do. And so guys, fathers, When we discipline our children, are we also holding out to them the gospel that says, son, daughter, I want you to believe in Jesus Christ. And when they leave the room after we've disciplined them, do we beg Jesus? Save their sick souls. Save them. Jesus marveled at the faith of this centurion And part of it was because he recognized by his God-given faith that only Jesus could save the sick. Physically, and I'm applying it even spiritually. Is it any wonder Jesus marveled at that? Jesus had a point to make. And he sort of does a little mini-sermon in the middle of this story. In verse 10, he marveled and he said to those who follow him, Truly I tell you, With no one in Israel have I found this kind of faith. I tell you, many will come from the east and the west and they'll recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. Jesus takes just a moment to say, there's gonna be people coming from eastern nations and western nations. These are Gentiles coming in from pagan nations that have faith, they have God-given faith. And they are going to enjoy that great banquet feast one day in heaven with me. But Jesus also says, the very people who ought to enjoy it, the sons of Israel, those who by blood are children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, those people, because they do not by faith believe, will be cast into outer darkness. What's he talking about there? He's talking about that they're going to go to hell someday. Where well, There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Weeping, that, that inconsolable, never-ending wretchedness, that utter, everlasting hopelessness that says in hell, God, you were just in putting me here, and yet I hate you for it all the more. Weeping, mental anguish, add to that gnashing of teeth like a a grinding of teeth if you will excruciating pain pain that will never end it's as if the body is always dying but never dead we subscribe to this magazine it's called World Magazine I would encourage you to to look into it a couple months ago when the Supreme Court was hearing uh, the cases on gay marriage Of course, there were a number of supporters and a number of protesters outside of the court that day. And in this magazine, there's a picture of a man. He's dressed head to toe in purple uh, fishnet stocking. Uh, He has these two little horns that he's attached to the top of his head. He has bright red lipstick on, and he's holding this sign, and the sign says, "'Hell is gonna be great.'" I read that and I read what Jesus says here that there's going to be weeping and gnashing of teeth and I say, there's a great lie that Satan is perpetuating. The hell's gonna be a party. Dads, I think we need to examine ourselves and then we need to plead to God that he would not only save us, but he would save our children from that place of torment, that place of never-ending hopelessness. So faith seeks Jesus during suffering. Faith approaches Jesus with a great amount of humility. And faith honors Jesus as authority The last one then is faith, trust Jesus for good. The centurion hasn't asked for anything. He hasn't demanded anything. He doesn't grumble about anything. He accepts whatever answer Jesus is going to give him. And in this case, Jesus chooses to heal. Verse 13. To the centurion, Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment some of your translations may say at that very hour dads does your faith believe that Jesus is acting for your good because you know when when you and I grumble when you and I complain ultimately what we're saying is God you are not good to me you haven't given me what I deserve that's why I grumble and that's why I complain but faith says just the opposite Faith says, I can't see everything that's happening around me. I see these circumstances, but I trust you, Jesus, that you're using these circumstances for my good and for your glory. So I'm going to trust you. I'm going to believe you. That's faith. In the Old Testament book of Habakkuk, the the prophet Habakkuk is told by God that God is going to use a pagan nation to come in and to discipline, to punish the nation of Israel. And when Habakkuk hears this, from a human standpoint, this is preposterous, that God would use a pagan nation to punish his own people. But Habakkuk was a man of faith. He trusted that God would do good for him and his people. And at the end of the book of Habakkuk, he writes this. He says, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, even if all those things happen. Verse 18 of that chapter, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Why? Because he had faith. He had trust that Jesus would do good, that God would do good in his life. Dads, here's my challenge for us. We can't drum up that kind of faith on our own. Faith is a God-given gift. So what we can do is say, God, would you place me in circumstances that grow me in this kind of faith? Would you give me that kind of faith? Would you allow me to trust in Jesus far beyond what I can see and beyond what my manly strength thinks it can accomplish? God, give me that kind of faith and let me example that kind of faith for my children who are always watching me God, I want to be a man of faith that would cause Jesus to marvel if he saw it. Let me pray for us. God, it's only in Christ that this is possible. It's only because Christ died on the cross and rescued us from our helpless estate that you moved us from a circle of darkness into a circle of light. It's only because you've forgiven us and caused us to be in your son, Jesus Christ, that we can have faith. Faith is a gift. And so we ask you, God, to give us faith, to grow us in faith, and that as we encounter circumstances like this centurion did, that we would seek you when we're suffering, that we would be humble as we come, that we would recognize your authority in the circumstance and beyond all else, we would trust you for your good. God, we want to be men of faith. Thank you for this example. Thank you for promising to, to give to us those things which please you. And Father, we trust that faith in your son would be a pleasing and wonderful thing to you.